We're going to move now to the time of preaching the word of God. And I've been in a series in the book of Acts, and we're going to continue in that today. We're going to look at the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. And and grace is uh, just such a a great word for us to think about, especially as Christians. It's so great that even many have have used that as a a name to to give to someone. Several of you here today may have it or have family that that does. And and it's because it it reminds us of of what it is that we learn in the scriptures uh, about grace. Divine grace is the unmerited, unearned favor of God towards us. Unmerited, unearned. But grace in, in general is really receiving blessing specifically when we don't deserve it. That's the key. You don't deserve it. And we need to differentiate grace from mercy because grace is not mercy. If if you get pulled over by a a police officer for speeding, and of course I would know nothing about that. (laughs) Kidding, of course. And he says, you're going 85 in a 70 mile per hour zone, but I'm going to give you a warning. I'm not going to give you a speeding ticket. And that's what we all hope for, right? That's mercy. That's mercy. If that same police officer pulls you over and says, you know, you were going 85, I'm not going to ticket you. But instead, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pay for your gas for the rest of your trip. And he gives you $100. That's grace (laughs) and mercy. So you got favor and blessing and you didn't earn it. In fact, you earned the opposite. But I've noticed something about grace, and you probably have too. We, we like to receive it for ourselves, but we really want everyone else to get what they deserve. Right? See, we like to be recipients of grace more so than we like to be givers of grace. And yet, the gospel that we've been called to be witnesses to is a gospel of grace. We believe a gospel that says that you can be blessed by God, not because you deserve it, but precisely because you do not deserve it. That's grace. Today, we're going to see the apostles of the early church defending the gospel of grace, a gospel we all need and a gospel that we all here today do not deserve. None of us. So let's pray and ask the Lord God to lead us. Lord We're so humbled already today by being in your presence. We recognize, Lord, that there are many ways that the enemy will use to distract us, but thank you that we can come together, unite our hearts together, and focus solely on you for you to receive all the praise and the glory for us being here today together and now responding and hearing the word of God. So, Lord God, guide and direct me and the words uh, that I share. May this be truth from your word and may your people have ears to hear, hearts that are open. May we all receive and understand this gospel of grace that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we are in Acts chapter 15. If you have not been with us, we've been working through this New Testament book, and that is where we left off last week. We left off with uh, Paul and Barnabas and some others uh, from the church in Antioch going to Jerusalem to solve this problem that they have now of gospel clarity. Some Jews from Judea were spreading a gospel that says you must be circumcised to be saved. You must obey uh, all of the Mosaic and Jewish law, and that needs to be part of what it means to be saved. And, and, and so these church leaders from Antioch are in Jerusalem to address this issue with the church leaders of the Jerusalem church. And so the first thing we see here is that the leaders are gathered to address this matter. You see that in verse 6 is where we're picking up, uh, Acts 15, 6, and it says, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So, so the who's who really of the early church is at this meeting. Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John and James, uh, the, the brother of Jesus himself, are here as part of this. If you looked at this, as I said last week, as a church conference, this is quite a speaker lineup. You know, the apostle Peter, followed by the apostle Paul and his buddy Barnabas, James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, the brother of Christ himself. This is quite a speaker list. And apparently what Luke tells us is there's much discussion and debate happening in verse 7. So this is not, don't, don't think about this as laid back conversation over coffee. There's debate, there's disagreement, most likely emotional reactions. I mean, take notice. What I want to do is have you take notice that the early church had to resolve issues just like we do today. Sometimes we read these these passages or we think back to the early church and we make it like these guys floated around Jerusalem on clouds. You know, they were normal, everyday human beings seeking the the guidance of the spirit of the Lord, just like we are seeking to fulfill their roles in the church. So there are three speeches given in this passage. We're only going to look at one today. The first one is by Peter. And then Paul and Barnabas after that, and then James. And like I said, we'll start only with Peter's today. And by looking at what Peter said, what we're going to see is that Peter is explaining to this group the Gentile mission, the the mission of the gospel to the Gentiles. He wants this group to understand that. And, And it seems the way that Luke writes this, that the setup of the meeting may have changed between verses six and seven. In verse six, it seems like it's just the apostles and the leaders of the church and they're discussing and debating. And then in verse seven, when the, when, when they transition to more speaking to the group, it seems that he's now addressing the larger audience of the church. We can't be sure of that, but seems to be written in that way, and many others also would, would agree. So let's look then at how Peter explains the Gentile mission to this audience. There are three parts to his explanation of the Gentile mission. The first one is this, the preaching of the gospel to Gentiles was God's idea, not man's. You see that in verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, what is Peter referring to there? He's, He's talking about the encounter that he had with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. 
which we studied and looked at a while back. Peter is reminding this church that God is the one that sent Cornelius to Peter, and then he sent Peter to Caesarea to Cornelius for what purpose? This is the key to to not miss. What purpose? To make clear that God was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. This is God's doing, not man's. That's what Peter's emphasizing. This is God doing this. Second, the second part of his explanation is God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit as evidence that this was his divine work. So he doesn't just say it's God's idea. He gives some evidence and the evidence he gives is the the work of the Spirit. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So Peter is making it clear here to to this group, this church in Jerusalem, that the evidence of the Spirit in the lives of these Gentile believers, that was proof, divine proof, that this is the work of God. What? The salvation to the Gentiles. Now think about why Peter is so convinced of this. Why is he so convinced? Well, he remembers that day. It's a memory for him. It's an experience for him. He specifically said to this group, it was my mouth that that told of this. And, And Peter's referring to something that happened about 10 years prior to where we are here in Acts 15. So this was about when he talks about the event with Cornelius, that was about 10 years prior to what he's talking about here. But he remembers, Peter remembers this. In fact, I want to remind you of what, what the scripture says in Acts 10. This is what Luke wrote about that day. I'll put it up here on the screen for you to see. Acts 10, 44. While Peter, and this is again back when he was dealing with Cornelius. While Peter was still saying these things, this is when he's in Caesarea. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So notice what Luke is writing in in Acts 10. He said, and the believers from among the circumcised were amazed. What group is that? Well, he's talking about the, the, the Jewish believers of the circumcision were amazed. Why were they amazed? Well, because they are witnessing the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles in Caesarea. And Peter's referring back to that event. And he's saying that the presence of the Spirit of God, that's evidence that it was God bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. This memory, it's, it's like permanently tattooed in Peter's mind. He'll never forget it. And then third, the third uh, reason that he gives here is that God has made no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no partiality. Verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them. He's emphasizing to this group, listen, God hasn't made a distinction. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. So Peter here makes it clear that God has made no distinction whatsoever between the Jew and the Gentile when it comes to salvation. Salvation is for both. And the way to salvation is the same. For both. Did you hear that? 
The way to salvation is the same. There's no partiality with God. None. This is precisely why Christians, this is why we cannot harbor within our hearts and minds any ethnic or, or skin color or, or, or language or nation of origin discrimination in our hearts. So that cannot at all be tolerated within our hearts for any reason because our God shows no partiality. And neither can we. And, and what, what, what Peter is saying here and reminding this group about is that God has made no distinction. I want you to think about that. No distinction. He doesn't say, well, this is a Jewish person and this is a Gentile. So the salvation, you know, this is going to be different. Or this is an American, and this is uh, someone who's not an American. This salvation is not just for Americans. In fact, we can't even think that salvation uh, that we've been given of the gospel is for Americans first. There's no distinction with the gospel. It's for all nations. And he's making that very clear. God has not made this distinction. So if humans make it, we make it on our own, apart from God. And notice that Peter tells us again about this evidence. The evidence that he specifically mentions here is that their hearts have been cleansed by faith. Their hearts have been cleansed by faith. How were their hearts cleansed? Well, whose hearts first are we talking about? We're talking about the Gentiles. How were, how were the hearts of the Gentiles cleansed? By circumcision? No. By law keeping? No. By faith. In who? Jesus Christ through grace. Faith in Christ alone, but as a gift from God and a gift of grace. And then Peter asked the Jews a, a very compelling question in verse 10. <clears throat> as he continues on, he says, why are you putting God to the test? Why are you putting God to the test? In verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So now, now Peter steps back and he asks this question in addition to everything else he's just said. Now, I, I, to give this verse the context that it needs, I, 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 need, I need to bring us back to the, to the Old Testament here for a minute. Peter, Peter is referring back to Deuteronomy 6.16, where the Lord says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. So this is in Deuteronomy. Peter's referring back to it. Now we have to ask, and what happened at Massa? Because Peter has something in mind. He knows. Well, that takes us back to Exodus chapter 17. When the nation of Israel is in the wilderness... After being delivered from Egypt by who? God, through Moses. And they're thirsty. The people are thirsty. And they're complaining. And, and the way that the book of Exodus is written in, in chapter 17 is that it, it tells us that they were so angry. And the people were so upset that Moses goes to God and says, God, I think they're going to stone me. They're so upset that they're going to stone me if they don't get water to drink. So the Lord, he tells Moses to go to the rock at Horeb. 
And he says, strike the rock with the staff that you used to strike the Nile back when you were in Egypt. And when he did, when Moses did that, water flowed from the rock and the people drank. That's how God provided for his people. Now, I want you to see how, what the Lord says about that or what the scripture says about that in Exodus 17, seven, put up here on the screen for you to see. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. How did they test him? By saying, is the Lord among us or not? What's going on here? They called this place Massa. That word has a literal meaning of temptation. They were testing God. How? How did they test the Lord? By doubting that God was with them. They were doubting that God was with them after all that God had done for them in in Egypt. They were doubting that God was with them just because they were thirsty and needed something to drink as if God couldn't take care of that. They lost trust in God even after all God had done for them. So going back now to Peter in Acts chapter 15, what is he saying then? What is he referring to? He's not talking specifically about that. He's using it as an example. And he's saying, you, you Jews that are doing this, that are trying to put this yoke of salvation, you're, you're testing God in the same way that your forefathers did in Massa. How so? What's the test? What's the test in Acts 15? Why are you not trusting God's plan for salvation? Why why are you not trusting what God has provided for salvation? Why are you trying to come up with your own ideas for salvation when God has already provided? Just as he provided for our forefathers in the desert. He's already done this. And then Peter gives two reasons why this man-made requirement for salvation is testing God. Both of these are found in verse 10. Why is this testing God? Why would this be considered testing God? Well, first, this requirement of circumcision and law-keeping is not something God has required. So they're putting something on God that they're saying is of God that is not of God. And when we do that, we test God. We gotta be careful about that. This is why in verse 10, Peter asks, why are you putting God to the test? He's telling these people, you're doing this. You're the one putting God to the test. It's your requirement. It's not God's. So stop saying it's God's when it's not. Second, you're seeking to burden the Gentiles with a law that even the Jewish nation themselves could not bear themselves or keep. Peter's going, what are you, why, why are you doing this anyway? Why do you want to put this burden of the law on the Gentiles when we can go back to our forefathers? They couldn't keep the law. Their their descendants couldn't keep the law. We can't keep the law. Why are we going to put this on 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 these Gentile believers to keep the law? Why, Why are you doing that? Why would you put that requirement on them when we couldn't do it ourselves? And in this way, Peter's saying, you're testing God. You're testing God. Probably his patience, his long suffering. 
that God would be so merciful and gracious to you, right? And then you wouldn't show that mercy and grace to others? That's testing God. He's been so gracious to us. He's been so merciful to us. Yet so many times, we won't be that same way. Peter gives then a declaration of grace. He gives a we believe statement. We believe that salvation is only available through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's quite a statement. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. What a powerful, courageous, bold statement for the apostle Peter to speak up and say in the church at Jerusalem among many Jews and fewer Gentiles to be able to say that with conviction. Why? Because he remembers, he's thinking back to to Caesarea and he's on, I know what God has done. This is, this salvation is for all people. You can see this is kind of written. Luke writes this as kind of like creedal doctrine here. We believe. What's Peter getting at here? He's getting at this, not a single Jewish person has been saved by God through the law. And not a single Gentile has been saved by the law. It is all by grace through faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what he's teaching. He's laying this doctrine down for the people in Jerusalem to understand So I want to ask you something. When you think about your salvation, I want you to think about this. You have been saved by grace, by God's grace given to you. You have not earned it. You do do not deserve it. You you could have, uh, maybe, maybe yours is the largest donation. Won't be by that. Won't be the book because of all the, all the great righteous things we've done. None of that. We are saved by grace. Now, if I asked you this question, do you need God's grace? Do you need God's grace? You personally, do you need it in your life? Let me try to answer that this way. And I'm going to answer it in a very kind of unique way. So give me some latitude here. But have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? And again, none of these questions are to be answered out loud. (laughs) Got a few of them. In your heart and your mind is good enough. Don't tap the person next to you. No elbowing, kneeing. You. Holy Spirit in you. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? If so, you know what the scripture says? You're a thief. I'm not a thief. I may have taken something. You're a thief. You ever lied about anything? Anything. Scripture says you're a liar. No, I'm not a liar. I have lied. I mean, who hasn't? Scripture says the law, 
you're a liar. This is the problem with the law, right? We can't keep it. Have you ever loved someone, something more than God himself? Scripture says you're an idolater. I'm an idolater because I've maybe cared about something. I have a lot of things in my life that I care about that take up more of what I, what, what, you know, my time and my energy. It's where I put my money. It's where I put my time. It's where I put all, more than God. You're an idolater. That's what scripture says. Have you disobeyed any of God's law? Well, I've given some examples here already of that. But generally speaking, if so, the scripture says you're a lawbreaker. You're like, wait a minute. I came to church today and I found out I'm a liar, a thief, idolater, and a lawbreaker. It's a great church. This is the thing, though. All of a sudden, grace starts to look real good, doesn't it? It starts to look really good because we all need God's grace. It doesn't matter. You, you, you could say I was saved. You don't understand, Pastor Mark. I gave my life to Christ when I was seven. You need God's grace. We all do. That's the point. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, 9 and 10. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that? Do not be deceived. Let's not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. Oh, here we go. Here's that list. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy. I didn't even mention greedy. Nor drunkards, didn't mention drunkards. Nor revelers, nor swindlers will what? Inherit the kingdom of God. These, these are the, this is the list who will not be in the kingdom of God. The, that list of people needs grace. A lot of grace. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. This is Paul encouraging the Christians in Corinth, but you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Amen. Hallelujah. Because that is our testimony. Such were some of us, such were all of us, all of us broke God's law, all of us, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in whose name the Lord Jesus Christ. How is this possible? How do liars, adulterers, drunkards, and thieves get washed, sanctified, and justified? How does that happen? Grace. The grace of God. We get blessing instead of deserved condemnation. But here's the key. Here's the key. You need to recognize that you need grace. You need to recognize that you have a need for grace. How? By accepting those words, those descriptions of you, not, not, not defending. You don't go into defense mode. Defense mode says, I don't need grace. I, I need a good defense. I need a good lawyer. 
I need, I need someone to represent me. I, I, have a, I have a good alibi. Grace says, I need grace. So yeah, I was a liar, idolater, and thief. But praise God, because of the grace of God, I'm washed, I'm sanctified, and I'm justified. See, you don't get grace by defending yourself and claiming innocence. You get it by recognizing who you are and that you need undeserved favor. And that favor and that blessing and that grace is only possible through faith in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That's the gospel. That's why, if you're wondering, maybe you're new to church. You've heard this word. I don't understand why at church they always talk about sin. This is why we don't run from it. Because it's what gives us the ability to, to, to draw in and have grace rain down on us. Rather than move into defense mode as if we don't need it. We need it. This is what, what uh, Peter is sharing here. This is the gospel of grace. And it's a beautiful gospel. And it's one that we should all celebrate and take part in. And it's why we're doing the things that we're doing as a church. It's why we're taking steps of faith. It's why we're not, stay, you know, we're not staying in a place of complacency. We're continuing to move forward because we believe this world needs this gospel of grace. And we want to continue to make it known. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful to you for grace that you have given to each one of us. Lord, I'm so thankful for the grace that has been given to me, given to my, to my family, to our family and the works that you've done there, the works that you've done in our church family. Lord, so many of us can trace back how and when we came to know Christ, how Christ moved in our lives and in the lives of our family. We are so thankful for that, Lord, for how you have moved and worked and how you have saved us by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, we want to continue to testify to that, to the world around us, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers. We want to testify to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and how there can be salvation found only in him. This grace is truly amazing. We are so thankful to you for it. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.